Hello, listener. I am very excited to share that we have launched our brand new globalcaptivepodcast.com website. The site features our full back catalogue of episodes, biographies and pictures of every one of our 100 plus guests with direct links to the episodes they feature in and information and contact details for our 15 Friends of the Podcast for 2020. Please do also sign up to our weekly newsletter. Just visit globalcaptivepodcast.com. But now, back to the studio. Hello and welcome to the latest GCP short from the Global Captive Podcast. This week we will be discussing recycling captive capital with our friends of the podcast and headline partners, R&Q. Now, when it comes to legacy transactions, we often think about the full sale of a captive to a runoff specialist such as R&Q or another third party. But of course, there are mechanisms such as lost portfolio transfers, novations and computations that can be used for just one part of a captive's book of business. When appropriate to the captive and parent strategy, these can be valuable tools to reorganise the captive and free up capital to write new business lines. So to discuss some of the reasons why and how this is done, I was joined by Paul Corver, Group Head of M&A at R&Q, and Paul Owens. The bulk of this recording was completed prior to Paul Owens joining Strategic Risk Solutions as a board director. And at the time of this recording, Paul Owens was speaking in an independent capacity. Paul Corver and I have since recorded two further questions directly related to the pandemic and its impact on the topics we discuss. Through much of this discussion, I refer to Paul Corver as PC and Paul Owens as PO to avoid any Paul-based confusion. And we begin with PC sharing his view on the impact of the pandemic on the broader legacy market. I mean, it seems a bit of a harsh thing to say, but in distressed market conditions, there can often be opportunities for runoff players. Uh, and we're seeing this coming through already in light of the COVID-19 lockdown and the impact on the insurance community. There's never a day goes by without some headline catching our eye with reports of, a, of an insurance or reinsurance company having a significant loss, either because of exposure to potential losses from business interruption or other impacts of COVID or potentially losses coming out of their investment strategy and the way the market has performed uh, recently. So a lot of companies are going to be finding a crunch on capital. And that is a key area that has increased in focus in the runoff market with regard to the potential for transaction activity. It's, it's obvious that uh, legacy liabilities attract the need to retain capital if that capital can be released and reused in an organization by removing those legacy liabilities, then that lends itself to a, a transaction for the runoff community. So we're seeing a, a number of um, possibilities coming through in the market, both the US and, and in the UK, of companies that are now focusing on how they can get better rationalization of capital. And as I said earlier, the disposal of legacy liabilities, either through a reinsurance transaction or a transfer mechanism, if it's enabled in the jurisdiction, can release significant capital and give capital relief 
to enable a company to, to bolster its, its balance sheet. We're also obviously seeing at this time much greater scrutiny from regulators and rating agencies as to the, the, the health of an insurance or reinsurance company. And if they're able to show that they're taking positive action, which could be the disposal of legacy liabilities to strengthen the balance sheet, then that would be uh, something that perhaps the rating agencies would be pleased to see. Uh, and this is something that we had been seeing even before the COVID-19 crisis, a lot more attention to restructuring legacy in order to be a stronger position for those rating agencies. So, PO, welcome back to the pod. I think it'd be useful if you could just set for us very briefly the context of the changing environment uh, captive insurers find themselves in over the past 18 months, and I think we expect will continue to find themselves in for at least another year or so. Yes, we are in a, a developing market. The market is getting harder and is expected to continue to be harder, confirmed by a report a couple of months ago uh, by AMIC. That market being hard, many operatives in the, in the insurance world have never witnessed this, never experienced this, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for insurers to, insurers to buy insurance cover for particular lines, and where they can buy it, it's becoming increasingly expensive. Therefore, many, both captive owners and new to the captive uh, sector, are looking to develop their captive or, or, or set up new ones. So, PC, what do we mean by the term recycling capital in the context of captive insurers? Well, Richard, as, as you know, all insurers, whether captive or commercial, PNC are obliged to hold capital in addition to assets covering expected liabilities. And this is to protect their customers in the event of reserve deterioration or asset reduction, operational risk, etc., Clearly, the level of capital required differs between territories. Solvency 2 in Europe is, is particularly high capital requirements. Some of the traditional offshore captive territories are, are smaller. However, capital is also trapped in collateral obligations. So whilst offshore might have a low capital requirement, they may have a large collateral obligation to front companies who are issuing the policies that they then reinsure. If the capital that is trapped in those vehicles can be released through disposal of legacy liability, then that capital can be recycled to support new business lines that the captive wants to write, or perhaps even support the next layer of collateral that it will have to put in place to support the next year's underwriting. So, uh, P.O., what, in what situation might a captive uh, want to uh, recycle its capital? As, as Paul C mentioned, all insurance companies need to be capitalised at the appropriate level and agreed with a, with a regulator. If a captive owner wants to write new business, they need to put more capital in, and many insurers don't want to write out an, a, a big cheque to put that cash into the, bit, into the company, even though you potentially can loan back uh, as working capital. But effectively, you need more capital in there. And lack of capital will prevent you from writing new lines of business. So let's take uh, executive risks, DNO, ENO. Um, that's becoming increasingly difficult to place if you can place it. So if your decision is to write it through your captive, you need the capital to support it. You may not have that ready, ready cash, so what do you do? And there may be other lines of businesses, other parts of the book, that capital is supporting that you can recycle and use again. I presumably it's not an easy question to go to your finance director and say, we want to put this new risk into the business. We're actually insuring the business, but to do that, we need to give us some more money up front. That's probably a tough question to ask, right? Very tough, and I'm not sure I'd want to ever do that. 
So PC, what are the different mechanisms available to a captive owner then if they decide they do want to, as Paul has already outlined, uh, recycle some capital to add in new lines of business, for example, what are the different ways that they can do that? There's a whole range of solutions available from the legacy market. A key aim for the captive is obviously to get finality over their liabilities so that they can demonstrate that any deterioration does not adversely impact the balance sheet and therefore the capital is protected. That can be achieved in a number of ways. Straightforward reinsurance contract to lay off that liability to a, a reinsurer would give capital relief to the, to the captive. They can also enter into a novation. That gives a much greater release as the contracts are physically novated to a new party and therefore that captive is off the hook. And we have done this with many, many captives. There's also the potential to transfer the business if there is an insurance business transfer mechanism in the jurisdiction. With regard to all of these, especially where collateral is held by a captive to support the obligation it has to the front company, that collateral obligation will be taken over as part of the reinsurance transaction. It will become part of the novation if the contracts are moved. So the buyer, being the runoff acquirer, is automatically then taking on responsibility for that collateral. And therefore, that will generally release trapped capital from the collateral obligation that was there by the captive. And are there particular lines of insurance that are more suitable to offload into a third party such as R&Q or is it quite a, an open approach to, to what might be available? I think it's generally going to be those liabilities that have a, a long or medium tail to them. Obviously, first party property, a very short tail and will be short lived in a company's balance sheet. If we're looking at longer tail, then it's lines such as workers comp or employers liability in the UK general liability, commercial auto, medical malpractice, anything where there is the potential for some deterioration, some volatility in those reserves that can be assessed and priced and exchanged across to a runoff provider and runoff carrier. That way the, uh, the, the captive gets its greater certainty, it's laid off the risk around the volatility on those long tail liabilities and therefore can potentially release capital that's been supporting them. So I think one of the uh, misconceptions commonly around firms such as R&Q is that uh, you're only interested in, in, in buying a captive wholly. Now you've already touched upon the other options which we've, we've talked about novations, commutations, portfolio transfers. Um, but on the topic of actually selling a captive or buying a captive, is the full sale of the captive to enact a whole new captive strategy sometimes relevant here as well? It's sometimes, yes. Yeah, certainly with the level of M&A at corporate level in recent years, companies find themselves with multiple captives. Uh, one solution, if they don't want to have to go through the pain of reorganizing them internally, is to then simply sell off a captive that they no longer want to, to utilize. Inevitably, that captive will have capital in it that supports it. Then as part of that sale process, an element of that capital will be repatriated to the parent upon the sale of the captive. In fact, one of the first deals we did back in 2009 was the acquisition of the Guernsey captive of the Woolworths Group, which had gone into insolvency in the UK. And yet the captive had sizable capital trapped in it because it was supporting its insurance risk operation. And so the liquidators of the parent company Woolworths then went through a process of selling the captive in order to repatriate that surplus capital to the parent. So PO, uh, PC just talked about the occurrence when a captive owner may have made various acquisitions and inherited numerous uh, large captives. Is that something you've worked on previously with, with clients that they've, they've ended up with five or six captives, they want to go down to two and so they've seen the sale of captives as one avenue to, to make that process uh, a lot more efficient? Yeah, very much so, Richard. Um, 
usually these multiple captives are, are acquired through business acquisitions um, and what we've seen is it's it's always at the bottom of the list in order to sort these out um, but when they are sorted out invariably you need to get rid of some um, because the, the, the world has moved on the structures that are required and you've got this trapped capital in there that how are you going to get out and the easiest way is to sell them is to sell them off the balance sheet to people like R&Q and clean up the, that group's uh, balance sheet, its ownership, uh, so they can move on and then potentially write more risk. So PC, going back to the um, recycling capital topic, particularly through a transaction such as a innovation or uh, a reinsurance agreement, what are the regulatory considerations involved? Very much depends on the domicile of the entity that's doing the disposal and whether they have any extra uh, requirements to report to the regulators. We haven't really faced any issues with regard to innovations or, or reinsurance transactions. Uh, the main involvement would come where there is a sale of a captive and therefore there's a change of control of the shareholder. So with any such transaction in the insurance community, the regulator would need to be involved in that regard. Also, if there's a transfer of the business through some regulatory process, then clearly that involves the regulator as well. But generally speaking, to put in place a, a loss portfolio transfer reinsurance structure or take a novation generally doesn't require regulatory approval. However, I would add that a novation, especially if there's a front company involved, will obviously require the approval of the front company who will be executing the novation to agree that the responsibility for the reinsurance moves from the captive across to R&Q. Um, but we have generally got very good relationships with many of those front companies. So let's say that I am a captive owner. I've come, uh, my renewal process has started. I've got a bit of a shock from the market and I've thought, okay, you know what? I need to increase um, some of my uh, captive layers or I need to add some new risks to my captive, but I need to find some new capital or release some uh, capital from the captive. What kind of timelines, if I come to R&Q looking for a solution, how quick can things move? What kind of timelines are we looking at? Well, Richard, that really depends a lot on the quality of information that can be provided up front. Uh, we will undertake a, a simple desktop analysis of the business that was written, the projected liabilities, the collateral obligations, and produce a, a non-binding indicative bid to give the seller some idea of the pricing we'd be looking at. And if the data is all readily available and in a usable format, that can be done in as little as two weeks. If we then proceed, we would then enter into a due diligence phase where we would look in more detail. We'd want to do sample claim reviews to make sure that reserves are being appropriately held. We'd probably undertake our own actuarial assessment. Uh, we would then look to formulate a final bid, perhaps within four to six weeks after having moved forward into that due diligence phase. After that, it's then completion of the relevant legal contracts, whether that's a reinsurance agreement, a sale and purchase agreement, uh, whatever the structure is of the transaction. But that can, to a certain extent, be run in parallel with the due diligence so that it can form a much closer deadline to the final bid being made to have the final documents in place. So overall, it could be done in as little as perhaps six to eight weeks but uh, and we have achieved that in certain scenarios but it really does depend on the quality of the information that comes in 
The one thing I would add is also that the the seller needs to ensure they have sponsorship from the ultimate decision maker in their organization you know we have been caught out in the past where it's been a great idea to undertake a transaction and then when it goes up the chain for final sign off it then doesn't get that approval so at the outset there really needs to be that sponsorship from the high authority within the captive seller you mentioned earlier on pc about different jurisdictions does the effectiveness of this approach vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction because as you said obviously a solvency to domicile there'll be much uh, heavier capital requirements maybe a cayman or a bermuda or a u.s onshore domicile there might be lighter capital requirements so there might not be as much capital to free up so how does that affect uh, the the efficiency of this i think the real difference there is perhaps looking at how that captive is then operating with regard to its ability to issue the policies directly or through a front company in the eu as solvency two compliant company they would be able to issue policies on a direct basis within the EU provided they have the appropriate passporting. If a company is in Guernsey or Cayman or Bermuda or one of the other offshore jurisdictions that might have a lighter touch on the capital they will probably have to go through a local front company to issue the policy and therefore they will probably have to post collateral. So whilst they may have a low capital requirement they will have the obligation to put potentially considerable capital as a high percentage of overall reserves into the collateral to the front company. If we are then able to remove those liabilities, they can release a certain amount of that capital that is trapped in the collateral. So PO, obviously you're experienced in captive management and having relationships with regulators. This sounds like a lot of conversations to be having with a regulator. Presumably though, if the captive is doing this to uh, recycle capital and release capital for new purposes, you can have that conversation about a new business model for the captive in parallel yeah there is a whole process that needs to be going through in order to add lines of business business plan change and that conversation will be held in parallel with a disposal and innovation and back to the, the premises of conversation is about recycling uh, and regulators like that conversation it's not just about adding a business line they want to know how it's been funded how it's going to work and the sooner you can come in with that conversation the better it will be and you'll get the approval and that's why this has to be run in parallel so pc obviously we're, we're, we're deep into a into a hardening market as as pierre has already said are you starting to have these kinds of conversations with with captive owners more often now that now that we're full into it and big decisions are having to be made in run-ups to renewals we're certainly seeing an uptick in the number of parties coming to us to inquire about disposal of some legacy liabilities now whether that is driven by the hard market whether it's driven by continued pressure on getting investment returns on capital or even returning capital to parent we don't know you know some some companies will let us know what their real motive is for doing a transaction but many will just want to undertake the transaction um, however i think by recognizing that there has been an uptick in inquiry then coincidentally alongside a hardening market then there probably is an element of the need to recycle capital Paul, we heard in a recent COVID-19 special episode from Pete Krantz of Peter Carlson and David Provost, Deputy Commissioner for Captive Insurance in the state of Vermont, that some corporations may look to use their captive to ease cash flow problems during this pandemic. So one of the ways of doing that, and, and they mentioned briefly, will be to offload some risks or legacy liabilities or sell the captive altogether in a, in a more extreme situation. Do you get a sense that you and others in this market may be seen an increase in interest and, and, and conversations directly relating or, or resulting from the crisis? I envisage that we will be seeing that, but it won't be 
yet, unless the parent company is in real dire straits. I think a lot of organizations are obviously going to be facing very difficult trading conditions with staff being furloughed or or laid off completely, with distribution channels closed down, uh, with manufacturing and, uh, and, and other processes perhaps not even operational and the resultant hit on turnover. So I think a lot of captive owners are going to be pretty distracted elsewhere. But maybe in this sort of in the in the medium term, once they start to get to grips with the the overall financial impact and when they start to come out of a lockdown process, they may look to see where they have pockets of capital around the organization. And it may be that a captive has a capital strength in it that could be utilized by the group. Now as alluded to, I think by Dave in the in the previous podcast, you know they can take a, a loan from the from the captive, but obviously the regulators look at closely at what's happening in that regard because they don't want to leave a, a captive too financially weak and reliant upon the credit risk of its parent, which in itself could be in a financially distressed position. So another way would clearly be to to, to dispose of legacy liabilities or protect the economic position of those liabilities through a reinsurance to enable capital to be removed. Or in scenarios where you've got an offshore captive, which perhaps is in a capital light jurisdiction, but inevitably facing large collateral obligations to front companies, again, removing those liabilities or protecting them through a reinsurance can remove uh, a slug of that surplus capital that's trapped in the in the collateral obligation. So I think going forward, we will see more activity as captive owners become more aware of the capital they have in the group overall and how they could access it, particularly from their from their captives. I think another area is going to be what happens in the commercial market with pricing. And we're already seeing reports of significant hardening on some business lines. Uh, and that might encourage companies to want to put more into a captive. Uh, and as, as, as previously said in the podcast, recycling capital is an ideal way to support new business lines and, and disposing of the legacy would enable that to, to occur, uh, especially if you look at the business interruption market and what's happening there is, is pretty frightening with where governments and legislators are coming from with regard to how a policy should respond rather than what the intention was for that response. The market is going to be really hardening and may even collapse considerably to the point where companies will find it very difficult to get cover at an affordable price. So why not put that into um, into a captive and then use that to perhaps access the, the new sort of pandemic reinsurance structures that are being proposed, similar to those put in place with terrorism, to enable companies to, to self-manage that risk through a captive, but then access these bigger reinsurance pools in the event of a further pandemic. Um, so I see opportunities for captives to be used a lot more efficiently with regard to those types of risks, but that will need capital to support it. And, and why not therefore recycle capital by disposing of some of the um, older legacy liabilities that are carried in that vehicle? Well, thank you to Paul Corver and Paul Owens for a really interesting 15 minutes or so in our latest GCP short. For more information on both of our guests and RNQ, please see the episode description and visit the new Global Captive Podcast website, www.globalcaptivepodcast.com. If you are new to the pod and want to continue listening to previous and future episodes, then the easiest way to do so is to subscribe or follow for free on your podcast app of choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud are three of the most common, but you can also find us on CastBox, for example, for Android users and hundreds of other podcast apps. Just search for Global Captive Podcast. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and see you next time, captives. Captives.